This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. What's up, kinfolk? Welcome to the number one college football show. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcasts. Today, we have a jam-packed show for you, but we're going to talk about the NFL Draft transfer portal. As a matter of fact, let's get started right there. This stat was actually checked by our researcher at Fox Sports, David Albiani, and double-checked by producer Tyler. So it's just wild to think about this. The number of entries for the transfer portal over this last window actually went up. So as of May 1st, 2.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 2,623 players entered the transfer portal. That is almost 300 more than the last time, right? So we are still going up in the number of guys that feel like they need to go into the portal to give themselves another opportunity to start over. 75% of those players are underclassmen, which is significant because underclassmen have to put their names in the portal during the window. If you're a grad transfer, you can do it at any time. So we still might see some moving and shaking throughout the summer with guys either coming out of the portal or grad transfers deciding to go in and then coming out. But that leads us into what I thought was perhaps the most intriguing entry into the transfer portal and out of the transfer portal last week in former Notre Dame quarterback, Tyler Buckner. So Buckner is leaving Notre Dame to join Alabama, which now has five scholarship quarterbacks. This is interesting. This is really interesting because it also means Nick Saban and Tommy Reese don't know what they have or know exactly what they have following their spring practice period. You'll know the only returning starting quarterback for Alabama is Jalen Milrow, who got the start against Texas A&M after Bryce Young went down with injury and looked anything but comfortable. 12 of 19 for 111 yards through the air, three TDs and a pick, but also fumbled the ball twice while rushing for 81 yards, 17 carries in a 24-20 win against a 5-7 and Texas A&M. You wanted to see more from Jalen Milrow in that spot, help him solidify his position as the guy in 2023 and going in the spring Saban said as much he wanted to give all of his quarterbacks an opportunity to win the job none of them won the job in the spring that includes not just Milrow but former five-star quarterback Ty Simpson Eli Holstein and true freshman Dylan Longerin who we did not expect to compete for that job we expected to be between Simpson and Milrow but knowing that Tommy Reese is a brand new coordinator to Alabama who is just 30 years old, who's also coming into Alabama, not putting in his own system, but making tweaks to the one that already exists, 
you can understand how he would want to feel very comfortable with a guy behind center. And Tyler Buckner is such a guy for me, right? This is a dude that won the job at Notre Dame outright in 2022 and got the start against Ohio State and did not look bad. Suffered injury, came back, and looked very, as we know, Tyler Buckner-esque, right? Against South Carolina. What I mean by that is he was 18 to 33 for 273 through the air with three TDs. He also threw three interceptions. There's some things for Tyler Buckner to, uh, to clean up. As a matter of fact, I think producer Tyler was way out in front on this. It's, he's a Notre Dame fan, Notre Dame alumnus, saying Tyler's got to learn how to get down on the ground and not take so many hits and put himself in positions where he's forcing these throws or he's making bad decisions. If he can do that at Alabama in preseason, I believe he could be the guy. But the headline here isn't Tyler Buckner becoming the fifth scholarships quarterback at Alabama. The headline here is Alabama doesn't have Bryce Young anymore. I know that feels like it's coming like right off of surface, but yeah, that's what it is. Because when you look at what Bryce Young was able to do for Alabama, both in 2021 and 2022, you can kind of understand why Nick Saban would want to go away from having his quarterback be the guy that has to save him when they get into trouble. Bryce is a guy that threw 33, 32 touchdowns, excuse me, threw for over 3,300 yards and just five INTs last year didn't win the Heisman in 2022. He did that in 2021. But what made him so great at Alabama is his ability to problem solve on the move. He's extremely elusive, and he's precise with the ball. The knock against Bryce Young is that he probably created more problems than he needed to just by not standing there long enough or standing there too long, holding the ball in any respect. That said, when Bill O'Brien decided he wanted to go back to the NFL and Nick Saban gets an opportunity to remake his offense is telling that he goes to get a guy like Tommy Reese. Now, on the surface, you would think that that's because you want to go back to a pro-style offense. And I think some of that is true, but not as true as you might think, right? What made Alabama really cool last year is not only their ability to throw the ball when they needed to, but that they averaged a gaudy 5.5 yards per rush. Got it that time, right? Over 2,500 yards rushing on just over 400 carries that's pretty outstanding that means you're good explosively because they weren't good in their short yardage packages and I think that's a thing that Reese can help them with along with a play action vertical passing attack that gets back to something like what you saw when Jalen Hurts first got to Alabama in 2016 and became basically the guy that we all know of at Philadelphia or at least showed signs of being a, uh, capable of being that guy now on top of Bryce Young not being there you also have three tailbacks that you think you should be able to lean on in 2023. Roy Dell Williams, Jace McClellan, Jam Miller. These are guys that I expect to tote the rock. And if you've got a guy like Jalen Milrow or Tyler Buckner, guys that are capable in zone reads, in option reads, you give them opportunities to beat people one-on-one -on -one and not have to read so much of the field, I think you're going to be in a really great spot. Very excited to see how this develops for Alabama, knowing that, well, it's going to be tough to keep five scholarship quarterbacks happy. See what that looks like come September. All right, let's go from that to what is going on in East Lansing as they have had two high-profile entries into the transfer portal, right? One is wide receiver Keon Coleman, who had a breakout year at Michigan State. And frankly, we thought up until last year, he was a better basketball prospect than wide receiver prospect. But you could see, he has the ability to body up smaller defensive backs, 
He has great jump ball skills. And if you are throwing him straight into football without any, well, lean toward basketball, what kind of a wide receiver prospect could he be? That's very intriguing. Him going to the portal doesn't necessarily mean good things for Michigan State because he's joined in the portal by quarterback Peyton Thorne, a two-year starter for Michigan State and one of the guys that Mel Tucker was building around going into this 2023 season. They're in a difficult spot because we don't see somebody behind Peyton Thorne that we immediately believe can come in and either perform as well or better than him. So I'm going to keep my eyes on what's going on in East Lansing as we head into this really pivotal 2023 for the Big Ten, who is going to have 14 teams for the last year for the foreseeable future when USC, UCLA join next year. Now, outside of all of that, I still want to see Michigan State's defense be the kind of defense that I thought it was capable of being. When they got Scotty Hazleton over there, joining Mel Tucker, you saw what it could be. And then they gave us that great outstanding year where they win 11 games. But it's very clear that Kenneth Walker III had a lot to do with their success. And finding guys that could replicate that sort of production has been difficult for them. And now you're losing your two-year starter that you were building around. Mel Tucker's got some work to do in East Lansing. But I think you can figure it out. I think Michigan State's got some chances here. It's just can you pull somebody out of the portal? Maybe somebody like former Nebraska quarterback Casey Thompson. That's a segue. It's not necessarily likely. Now, I say it's not likely, but watch. Peyton Thorne and Casey Thompson could just switch, right? Peyton Thorne could end up in Nebraska. Casey Thompson could end up in Michigan State. But what I think is more interesting about Casey Thompson going into the portal is that this is the second time that he would be leaving a program, and I believe the third time that he had entered the transfer portal altogether. This is a kid that I followed since he was a high school sophomore at Southmore down the road when I was covering Oklahoma day-to-day as a beat writer. I saw him grow up, saw him leave the Southmore Jaguars to go at Newcastle, which you've never heard of and never needed to hear of, but he was good enough there that he got offers from Oklahoma and Texas, ended up committing to Texas, eventually won the starting job at Texas, and it just didn't go so well, right? He transfers from Nebraska. You could see the tools are there. You could see his ability with the ball. But it's just not going well under a new head coach in Matt Rule who brought in Jeff Sims to compete with Thompson. And Thompson apparently doesn't feel good about the situation. I'm going to be interested to see where Thompson ends up because we're getting into JT Daniels territory here. JT Daniels, who's at Rice now, and at one point had played at USC, Georgia, and West Virginia. I'm really trying to figure out If this is a good move for Thompson or a good move for Nebraska, maybe both are good moves. But it does tell me a lot about what Matt Rule and his staff think about Jeff Sims, at least for now. Maybe they go get another scholarship quarterback to replace a Thompson or Thompson decides to come back to Nebraska for this 2023 season. But also through for 2,400 yards, 17 touchdowns to seven interceptions. Jeff Sims, who was not unremarkable, at Georgia Tech, had started 23 games for the Yellow Jackets and apparently is doing enough to convince folks in Nebraska that they're going to be in good hands with their guy behind center. All right. Also over the weekend, former Notre Dame cornerback, excuse me, wide receiver turned cornerback Lorenzo Styles transfers to Ohio State to join his little brother, Sonny Styles. We think as a cornerback. Now, this is interesting for me because A, the Styles are a Buckeye family. I believe their father played at Ohio State. And you're also talking about adding another cornerback 
to what I think is a pretty good room of cornerbacks. There are four guys at Ohio State that you got to feel good about, including Jordan Hancock, Denzel Burke, and Jair Brown. I think having a guy like Lorenzo in that room can only help you with his experience and, frankly, his ability, right? This is a guy that caught passes and knows how to defend pass catchers. I think that's great. I also believe that this is good for Sonny Styles. Sonny Styles could make the starting lineup in 2023 as a safety and former five-star, a guy that frankly could be going both ways if that's what you wanted him to do. But I thought the quote from Jim Knowles following spring practice told us a lot about Sonny Styles. goes, I think when you look at the potential best 11 players for the 2023 defense, he's a guy that our staff is going to point out and say, we need to find a way to get him in there. He held his own in the playoff semifinal against Georgia, and I think he's just got all kinds of skill. They also got three guys coming back that they feel good about. Lathan Ransom, Ronnie Hickman, and Owasso, Oklahoma's own Josh Proctor. Tulsa boys, absolutely smacking. I think if you get this figured out on the back end, you put Ohio State in position to go hunting for a Big Ten championship, perhaps the first Big Ten championship they won since Michigan decided, hey, 2021, we're the new landlords. Everything runs through Ann Arbor, and it has since then very curious to see what happens at Ohio State as we're also going into quietly a summer where Michigan has the number one ranked recruiting class for 2024 that probably holds up for the next three to six weeks and if you are Michigan and you heard me bagging on you for not being so good at recruiting hey man stretch your lead especially as it doesn't feel like Ohio State knows exactly who it's going to be defensively and is in the midst of its own quarterback derby this is for Michigan to take care of as Ohio State still trying to figure this out still adding guys to the defense from the transfer portal all right let's switch from talking about transfer players to the NFL draft now there's a lot that came out of the NFL draft and it's one of the reasons that we love to watch these names run across the screen and watch other people read these names out loud because your mind starts to race about what that team could be. All of a sudden, we all become fantasy football managers once again, and we also get into our Madden mode, right? But I'm looking at Philadelphia, and all I can think of is UGA's North Campus must be really nice because that is what Howie Roseman decided to do was just fill Philadelphia with Bulldogs, right? We're talking about five guys that were drafted by the Philadelphia Eagles over the last two years to their Franchise, Jordan Davis, N'Kobe Dean, Jalen Carter, Nolan Smith, and Keely Ringo, all guys that have played national championship football for the Dogs over the last two years, and frankly, the best defense in the country over the last two years. That's wild to me. And then you add on the offensive side of the ball, they went to go get DeAndre Swift from the Detroit Lions to fill a need that they absolutely had at running back. But if you're looking at the Philadelphia defense, you see Jordan Davis you see Jalen Carter, you see Fletcher Cox, you see Hassan Reddick. Keely Ringo has an opportunity to start on that in that secondary. N'Kobe Dean is not just one of the smartest linebackers that you've ever heard of. He's got a mechanical engineering degree from the University of Georgia, all right? You could do a whole hell of a lot worse than a player such as him. I'm very interested to see what the Philadelphia Eagles can do this year, mostly because there are people trying to tell me that they're not the favorite in the NFC. And as much as I would love this to be the Dallas Cowboys, that just ain't going to be, that, that, that just, that's just not going to be what it is. It's the Niners, right? And it's basically the Niners because we were thinking about what they were able to do with a third-string quarterback in Brock Purdy. But I'm looking at, I just paid Jalen Hurts all this money. 
Ty Roseman, who is a Florida alumnus, has brought in all these dudes from Georgia on defense because they're hunting now. They have some dudes that are really reaching the end of their careers and their last opportunity in their primes to go chasing a Super Bowl. I'm all in on this move. Very excited to see what they look like and not so excited to see what they look like against my Dallas Cowboys because, well, we've been the Cowboys for 30 damn years and we can't get out of the way of the Giants or the Eagles who have both won Super Bowls in the 21st century and somehow my Dallas Cowboys can't get it together. We can pet Tom Brady on a booty on the way out, but we can't go win no Super Bowl. Jerry. I love that you let Chris Vaughn go get Deuce Vaughn. I was emotional about it too. But I need to win. And when I look at these Georgia Bulldogs over there on Philly, and I am a college football guy, I'm going, what? Let me get not tied up in that pro football for too long, right? Because the pro football that I actually am very excited to talk with you about is in the USFL, okay? So I went to Birmingham over the weekend for what I thought was the best game of the weekend, the New Orleans Breakers versus the Birmingham Stallions. And I came away believing that the New Orleans Breakers are about it, which leads us into our USFL Week 3 power rankings. All right, so number one, 3-0, the last undefeated team in USFL, the New Orleans Breakers, who absolutely smacked the Birmingham Stallions 45-31 in the postgame. I asked. Skip Holtz, what do you take from this after telling your team over and over again, you ain't won nothing, you ain't nobody, that was last year's team, you got to earn it every week. And he said, I've just got to double down on that message because you could hear it in the final drive of the game for the Stallions as they had an opportunity to try to fight back from two scores down. They took two sacks in three plays and Skip just said to his players, hey, they wanted it more than we did. That can't happen if you're a Birmingham Stallion. That's how the New Orleans Breakers have won football games to start. They also have great veteran leadership in McLeod Bethel-Thompson, and they got 191 yards rushing out of West Hills in that game. The top pass, passer, the top rusher, and the top wide receiver, or I should say receiver, in the USFL all belong to John Filippo's New Orleans Breakers. They are my number one. All right, number two, didn't slide that far. Birmingham Stallions sit at number two for the first time in – over a year, right, when we're talking about the power rank. It's just their second loss since the USFL returned in April last year. They still are the defending champs, but it's got to rattle some cages that they took a loss to the team that is sharing their hub city in New Orleans at Protective Stadium. It's just not a thing that we're used to seeing. What I add to this is I'm in the press box. I'm writing my stories. I'm getting ready to go down to interview players and coaches. On the way down, you know, you talk to event staff, and I do catch up most folks are from Birmingham and they would ask me what's the score and I said 45 31 they said Birmingham I said no ma'am I say the breakers we lost I was like man y'all y'all just that far from Tuscaloosa y'all ain't used to catching L's huh because that's how it feels right now Birmingham the city is taking this personally and I'm sure the stallions are going to feel every bit of that going into week four number three in the power rankings for me the New Jersey Generals right who have made the sin of losing to Birmingham twice to open their seasons in back-to-back years, but also have followed with consecutive wins, right? They move atop the North Division with their win in what I thought was an outstanding game at Ford Field against the Michigan Panthers. They absolutely showed up to run the ball and play defense. Former Wisconsin linebacker Chris Orr had back-to-back games now of 10 tackles or more. They rushed the ball for 198 yards. 
They held the ball for just 24 minutes and still did that in a 28-13 victory to really spoil the home opener for the hometown team in the Michigan Panthers. But it was a great atmosphere. I enjoyed seeing all the stars on the sidelines, including Megatron, who made it out, right? Who doesn't like to see Megatron at Ford Field? Probably could go out there and make the Detroit Lions better right now. Number four on the list for me, the Michigan Panthers, right? They catch their first loss of the season to the Generals, but the Generals, again, were a playoff team and a team that we thought was going to play in the USL championship game before they took a loss to Philadelphia. All USFL running back Reggie Corbin from a year ago had only 38 yards on the ground on eight rushes. And then as good as Josh Love was to start week one, where he put together the most efficient passing performance in USFL history, he looked absolutely lost and frustrated against that general's defense. Matter of fact, we're talking about a guy that had 15 or 31 passes completed for just 101 yards with an interception. And then the Panthers came unglued down the stretch. And I just don't know that you're going to be able to coach that. Or I, I should say, you should be able to coach that out, right? You should be able to coach, hey, keep your composure. Let's not penalize ourselves. Let's take care of the little things, take care of the details, and see where we end up. And I think if the Panthers do that, they have the talent to get themselves back into playoff contention. Fr frankly, they're right there, right? They're the second team in. Number five on the list, the Philadelphia Stars, who dropped to one and two and have caught back-to-back -back losses for the first time since the USFL reformed in 2022. Common denominator here is Case Cook is quarterback for the Philadelphia Stars, throwing at least two interceptions in both losses. For a team that wants to throw the ball as often as Philadelphia does, Cook has to be better with the football. I understand there are a couple plays where it didn't feel like he was on the same page as his wide receivers, but you got to get that fixed in the huddle or you got to get that fixed in film, but it can't keep happening or you know, you're running out of room before you can get back into this playoff picture. But, I mean, we're talking about a team that finishes a runner-up in the USFL championship last year. I think Bart Andrews' squad can get it figured out. Number six on the list, the Houston Gamblers, who get off the schneid. 30-26 win against the Memphis Showboats. Really great game from Kenji Bahar, who still continues to show he's progressing. 200-yard passing performance with two TDs and just one INT. Had a game-winning pass that was caught by Justin Hall with 18 seconds left to play on a third and 10. Hall had a great day, 90 yards receiving and that TD. And Mark Thompson showing up to run the ball well, 81 rush yards on 21 rushes with two TDs in the first win of Curtis Johnson's career. Congratulations to him and the USFL Gamblers. Pittsburgh Maulers are moving up in the world to number seven, one and two. They get their first win of the 2023 season and also the first win of Coach Ray Horton's career. Very excited for him. 21-13 that they beat the Stars. And it was really about their defense continuing to be their defense. Led by former Alabama linebacker Reuben Foster, who had 11 tackles, two for a loss, two passes defended, and an interception in the win. They also got great special teams play, right? At one point, Ray Horton is making jokes on the sideline about, I feel like we're the Golden State Warriors for all these threes we're making. Chris Blewett, which is wildly unfortunate name for a kicker, made five field goals, right? I'm saying, any way you get it done, especially as you're still trying to figure out what you got in quarterbacks. Troy Williams was 10 of 18 for 96 yards with a TD in the win. You love to see some more offensive production from the Maulers because it feels like if they get good quarterback play, they are a team that can upset some people down the stretch here as we get into the meat of the schedule. And then finishing out, number eight, 0-3, Memphis Showboats, the only team left without a win this season. But I saw some good things from former Southeastern Louisiana quarterback Cole Kelly, who was 21-38, 307 yards passing, two TDs, and a pick in the loss. 
They were right there in it till the end. They're making progress. I think Todd Haley showboats need to get it together, though, because you're looking at 0-3 and, and then 0-2 in the division, and two of the best teams in the league also sit atop your division. You got to get a move on if you're going to get this done in Memphis. All right. That is going to do it for this episode of the number one college football show. My thanks as always to our lead producer, Tyler Wojak. Our senior producer is Catherine Donnelly. Our director is Kyle Holly. Our social media maven is Javion Duncan. Our lead of screening is Jack Coakley. Our as- production assistant, excuse me, is Kiara Santana. I'm the host, RJ. We will see y'all on Friday. Deuces.